Well, if you have a Bible this morning, you can go ahead and turn with me to the book of Numbers. It's a book in the Old Testament of the Bible towards the beginning, uh, the book of Numbers chapter number 11. Uh, we will have the scriptures on the screen for those of you who don't have one, but I encourage you to at least download a free Bible on your smartphone if you have one. There's a free one called Version Y-O-U version that's available in every app store so that you can follow along each week. Um, we're in week number two of a series called Circle It, where we're talking about circling the impossible in our lives with prayer. We said last week that it is those things in our lives that seem impossible, those obstacles, those prayers that we've gotten weary of praying because they don't seem to have changed much. It's the, it's the relationship that doesn't feel like it will ever be mended. It's the financial obstacle that uh, getting on a budget isn't going to fix. It's, it's the sickness that a prescription can't fix. It's those things in our life that if God doesn't move on our behalf, they literally will not change because they're outside of our control. And what we're talking about in this series is the fact that prayer can change it. And we need to make sure that those things in life aren't accepted into our lives, but we circle them with prayer. And the basis of the series came from uh, a story of a man named Honey um, in the first century who uh, drew a circle in a sand and got on his knees in the middle of a circle and cried out before God for him to send rain on the earth in the midst of an extreme drought. And the story has been told and passed down from Jewish leaders and has been captured for us even to this day of the fact that God answered a prayer that seemed completely impossible. And we talked about the idea that we can circle those things in our lives that are impossible with prayer and they will bring change. And kind of the statement that we left with last week was the statement that when prayer is your only hope, make prayer your only option. In other words, when, when worrying about it won't change it, when arguing about it won't change it, when getting angry about it won't change it, when prayer is literally the only thing that can change a circumstance in your life, then make prayer your only option. Don't spend your time and energy worrying and getting angry and talking about it. Spend your time and energy praying fervently with expectation that God will move on your behalf. And today I want to take things a step further as we continue this series and talk about the types of prayers that we pray because I'm afraid that far too often we pray prayers that aren't extremely faith-filled and truth be told uh, are pretty small in the comparison and the scope of who God is. And so I want to share a couple of stories with you today. One is a personal story and the second is found in Numbers chapter 11 and I just want to encourage us to start dreaming bigger as we pray our prayers. Several weeks ago, we, uh, Lindsay and I found out that she was pregnant with our third child, and it was um, exciting news for us, but we knew that we could not tell our son Landon because we wanted to wait until we told people, until we made sure things were okay in the pregnancy, and we knew that if we told Landon, then he would immediately tell people, and the secret would be out of the bag, and so we didn't tell him, but we had come from our eight-week appointment, and we found out that the baby had a heartbeat, and uh, that everything seemed healthy, and we were super excited, and Lindsay picked Landon up from school that afternoon, and as he came home, uh, somehow he got on the topic of saying that he wanted a baby sister. Now, this was the same day that we had found out that 
Lindsay was pregnant and everything was healthy in her pregnancy, uh, but we didn't know if it were going to be a boy or a girl at this point. And he just started saying, you know, I, I want a little sister just, just out of nowhere this afternoon. And um, I said the only thing that I knew to say was, well, son, you should talk to God and you should ask God to give you a little sister. Now, part of that was a confidence that I had that God would answer that prayer because we knew that Lindsay was already pregnant, right? And so if I encouraged my son to pray about something that I knew would be answered, then I thought that will inspire faith in him and the confidence of prayer. And so my little five-year-old said, let's go to my room because that's where we pray at night with him. And we went to his room and he put his hands on Lindsay's stomach and he said, Lord Jesus, I pray you put a little girl on mommy's belly and help me be a big brother again. In Jesus' name, amen. And that was the extent of the prayer. It was a precious, precious moment. And I can't tell you the joy that filled my heart the day that we found out that the little baby inside of Lindsay was a girl and uh, it was an answer to prayer. Uh, we had been praying that God would bless us with a little girl. And um, uh, after we told the family so that Landon wouldn't let the cat out of the bag again, then we sat down with Landon and we said, Landon, you remember that prayer that you prayed for mommy a couple of weeks ago? You know, when you asked God to put a little sister in mommy's belly, and he said, he said yeah. And we said, well, he did. You're going to have a little sister. He put a little sister in just this huge confidence that came over him that like he had prayed a prayer and God had heard his prayer and God had miraculously put a little sister inside of mommy's belly um, was just the most amazing experience for me as a father to see in my son. Now I've thought about it over the last couple of weeks and, and here's the thought that I've, that I've wrestled with, especially as we've been talking about the topic of prayers, is I've been wrestling with the fact that um, did I give my son a false sense of what prayer can do in his life? Because truth be told, the prayer that I encouraged him to pray on some level had already been answered. On some level, I was asking him to pray that God would put a child inside of his mother when there was already a child growing and developing inside of his mother. And I've kind of wrestled with, you know, did I mislead Landon? Did, you know, did I cause him to... Uh, you know, think something more of prayer than it was? Did I call him to pray a prayer that wasn't necessary and, and think that prayer changed something that it really didn't? And I've kind of wrestled with that. That's kind of the struggle that I've had as a father the last week, especially as I've thought about this message. But, but here's where I've landed. Here's where I've landed. What if, what if, what if we could pray prayers in our lives with the same confidence that we would have if we knew what I knew about the prayer that my son was praying. If we knew that what we were going to pray about would be answered, if we had full confidence that it would be taken care of, that the prayers we're praying were going to be answered, it would change the way we prayed. It would change the way I pray. It would give me a bolder confidence to ask God for more than just blessed food and to ask God for more than just simple provision. It would cause me to dream big dreams and have a confidence that my heavenly Father listens and hears my prayers and that I have an intercessor in heaven named Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes on my behalf to God the Father. And there's this confidence that I can have that I learned 
through asking my son to pray a prayer that I knew would be answered. But, but here's the kicker that got me, was we didn't know it was going to be a little girl at the time that he prayed that prayer. And I don't know how much faith I put in this statement, but I've been told that after you have two children of the same sex, that the odds of you having a child of the opposite sex for the third child are very small, around 30%. Now see, in, in my way of thinking, you have a 50-50 shot, right? It's either a boy or it's a girl. But somehow there's literally been studies done that say that if you've had two children of the same sex, you have a greater chance of your third child being the same sex as your first two children. And when I heard that, it kind of like discouraged me a little bit because I told my wife that I would give her a daughter. And when Landon prayed that prayer, God did answer it. And he not only gave him the ability to be a big brother again, but he did give him a little sister. Now, here's what I want us to do. Is I want us to think for just a moment about the types of prayers that we pray and the attitude and mindset that we have about those prayers being answered. So many times I pray prayers that I feel like have like a 50-50 shot of being answered, right? Like, God, if you'll do something on my behalf, that will be great. Um, but if it doesn't work out, then, you know, I'm going to love you and serve you either way. And so it's kind of this wishful thinking that we talked about last week. And, and honestly, I have boiled down the fact that I pray a lot of prayers... I pray a lot of prayers that could be answered without God in the equation, right? Like, like we pray prayers like, God, bless our food. We thank him for our food, but, you know, we hope we don't get sick. But there's millions of people in this world that never pray blessings on their food and they don't get sick. Like, we pray prayers like, God, give us safe traveling mercies, keep us safe as we travel. And there's literally millions of people that travel every day of the year, and they don't pray prayers that God would keep them safe, and they arrive safely. And I'm not saying that we should not pray those prayers because God does honor those prayers, but I'm just saying if that's the extent of our prayer life, what are we missing out on? What kind of dreams could God put in our hearts that if we would have faith enough to pray bold prayers and trust him for impossible situations, what kind of stories could we tell? How would our lives change? How would our relationships change? How would the things in our lives that seem to keep us stuck be transformed and become testimonies and stories that we can share for generations? And I've just become foolish enough to believe that God has done some incredibly powerful things in the past. And I've been challenged that I need to, on a personal level, begin praying more bold prayers and dreaming bigger dreams and expecting God to move on my behalf in ways that can't be explained outside of God. In ways that can't be explained outside of God. And so I want to share a story with you. It's found in Numbers chapter number 11, and I'm going to start reading and Verse number four, in the context of this story, a man named Moses was called by God to, leave the to lead the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And he's to, uh, he went to Pharaoh and he told Pharaoh to release his people. And there were 10 plagues because Pharaoh was hard-headed and God delivered the Israelites from the Egyptian bondage. And he's parted the Red Sea and they escaped from the Egyptians and they wandered in the wilderness uh, because they murmured and complained a lot, but they were on a mission to get to a promised land that God had promised them. And on this particular moment in the story, uh, the people are 
complaining about something. Uh, and, and I want us to pick up the story to see Moses' reaction to their complaints as he comes to God and requests something and, and just see what God does. And hopefully, hopefully, like me, it will be an encouragement to you. This is Numbers chapter 11, verse number 4. It says, it says the rabble, which is a, a disorderly crowd or an angry mob. This was, this was people who were extremely frustrated and complaining over an issue that we're about to jump in, into that had, had become confrontational, that Moses was kind of fearing things were about to get out of hand. The rabble with him began to, to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started welling and said, if only we had meat to eat. If only we had meat to eat. See, for the last two years, God had supernaturally provided food for the Israelites in the form of what was called manna. And when the dew fell at night, this manna would settle. And it was literally like a bread-type substance that they would collect every morning for five days of the week. And on the sixth day, they would collect enough for two days because the seventh day was the Sabbath. And God didn't want them working on the Sabbath. And so every morning when they woke up, there was provision for them for the day. And God had supernaturally for two years faithfully provided a way for them to receive nourishment. But it had gotten old. And eating bread for two years will drive a group of people into a rabble that would cause them to become an angry mob. And they began to crave meat. And listen to what they said. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. When we were slaves, we ate better than we're eating now. Why did we even leave? I wish we were still back there because we had free food to eat. Isn't it funny how certain things in our lives can can cause us to long for things that aren't best for us? That we could get so frustrated over certain issues in our lives that we would long for a different lifestyle that's not the best with us because of certain issues. And so this complaining got out of hand and Moses um, didn't know what he should do. So he goes to God in verse number 13 and listen what Moses says to God. He says, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep welling at me. Give us meat. He's like, okay, God, they're angry. They're yelling at me. They think it's my fault that all they're eating is manna. I simply let them out here, and just so you know, you're the one that's providing a manna. This was your plan, not my plan. And they're angry at me, not at you. So where can I get meat? I don't see how it's possible. Verse number 18, God says, Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you welled. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for one day, or two days, or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. He's like, you want meat? I'm going to give you meat. Not just meat for a day. It's not going to just buy a break from the manna. But I'm going to give you so much meat that it's going to last you a month that you're going to loathe meat. Be careful what we complain about. Be careful what we ask God for. At the end of this story isn't such a great story. But I want to talk to us for a moment about the predicament that Moses is in at this point. 
He's, he's got this angry crowd, this, this group of people that are demanding more than just the manna that they have, and he has no way to provide it. And so he goes to God and simply says, where can I get meat for these people? And God says to him, you tell the people to consecrate yourselves, and I'm bringing the meat. It'll be all the meat that you can handle. Now, here's the problem. We're not talking about a group of 100. We're not talking about a group of 1,000. We're talking about a group of around 600,000 Israelites that Moses is leading toward the promised land. And they're angry. They're frustrated. And God tells Moses to stand before this angry crowd, this crowd of people who may be close to their wits end, who may be close to taking action themselves and making a change, if you know what I mean. And Moses feels that tension. And he's standing between God and them. And God says, tell the people, I'm sending meat for a month. Get ready, it's coming. Consecrate yourselves, prepare yourselves. I'm getting ready to send meat. Now, if you're Moses, reading this story, it seems like that would be an easy job. Just stand up in front of the people and say, meat's coming, get ready. And watch what happens. But in all reality, when you look out and you see that there are 600,000 people and you haven't had meat in two years, all you've had is manna that's only been enough for one day. And God says, I'm sending meat for all of you for a whole month. That's a pretty bold, impossible scenario. Okay, that makes you say, God, are you sure about that? Like if I tell them that and it doesn't happen, I'm going to be the one that they're angry at, not you. I feel like you're asking me to stand on a promise that seems very impossible. And he had every reason to doubt God, to question God, to say, you know, I'm not so sure about this, to maybe talk to a few people and say, you know, God, kind of, I feel like God told me this. Maybe he told me this. I'm not so sure. But uh, maybe we'll just wait and see if it happens, and then we'll tell the people, you know, that that came from God. But Moses doesn't do that. Moses does what a lot of us are afraid to do. When he feels as though God has put something in his heart, when he feels as though God has put something in his spirit, and it calls him to trust the provision of God, to trust the supernatural working of God, to trust that God can do the impossible and can change circumstances in our life when it seems like there's no way that it could happen. Verse 21, we can listen to Moses wrestling here as he says, here I am among 600,000 men on foot and you say, I'll give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? This can't happen. I don't see how it's possible. Verse 23, the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short for you? Is the Lord's arm too short for you? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. And here's the question that I want us to wrestle with today. Is the Lord's arm too short for us? Is his ability to meet needs in our lives, to move on our behalf, to fulfill promises that he's given us, is is his ability to meet those needs limited that we should not trust him with areas in our lives to pray bold prayers. See, I think that we need to stop having this mindset where we question how God will do things 
and we start trusting that he will do things. See, see, here's what I think. I think that, that it's okay if we question if God will do something, because that's something that we need to wrestle with. God, will you do this? But we have no reason to ever wrestle with if God can do something. Do you see the difference? Like, I don't know if God will do this. I don't know if that's what he's called me to do. I don't know if he will, but I sure know that he can. I sure know that the God who created everything that we experience today by words that he spoke can move in our lives. It's not about if he can, it's about if he will. And Moses was questioning if he could because in his mind he couldn't justify it. He couldn't make it make sense. If all the herds were slaughtered, if all the fish of the sea were collected, would it even be enough then to feed 600,000 men on foot? Verse number 24, Moses takes a step of faith here. He went out and he told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of the elders and had them stand around the tent. That's a circle. And they trusted that God was going to do something impossible in their lives. They circled it. God had told them that out of their frustration, he was going to send them meat. And not just a little bit of meat. He sent in a lot of meat. And Moses was foolish enough to believe that he could do it after he wrestled with it. And so he stood before the people and he said, this is what God will do. And he proclaimed to the people, get ready, prepare yourselves. He called the elders together, they circled the tent, and they prepared for miraculous provision from God. Verse number 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground. Quail blew in with this wind from the sea and were stacked three feet deep around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction, which many scholars believe could have been a 30-mile radius, three feet deep, full of quail. It's not if he can. It's if he will. He can. He can do the impossible. He can move in our lives. He can answer our prayers. He's never intimidated by any prayer that we will ever pray. He's never overwhelmed from anything that we'll ever ask him because he is never limited to anything. 32, all the people, all that day and night and all the next day, the people went out two days and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers and then they spread them out all around the camp. No one gathered less than 10 homers. You know how much a homer is? A homer is about 50 gallons. This trash bag, I believe, is a 40-gallon trash bag. If I were to fill this full of quail, I would have 12 and a half of these full of quail, and I would be one of 600,000 men, not counting women and children. And everyone had that much quail provided by God that they spent two entire days collecting it. And we question if God can provide for needs that we have. We question if God can restore things that are broken. We question 
God's ability to fill needs in our lives when faithfully, time and again throughout history, he's literally done the impossible. So many prayers that I pray are filtered through my wrestling. And if you're like me, you desire God to do something in your life or through your life, but what you see doesn't seem possible that God could do what we pray that he does. And so we pray these just, I call them hopeful, wishful prayers. Like maybe if I'm lucky, things will change. Maybe if, maybe if like I get a streak of good luck, something will happen. Because I'm, what I'm looking at is a mountain. And there's no way that it could be moved. And so if you're like me, you have a tendency to see those mountains. And you might say a quick, like, Lord, it would be nice if you'd move that mountain. But that's the extent of your prayer. And we don't circle that mountain with a bold confidence that that mountain is nothing in comparison to the creator of the universe. A God who could send over six million quail into a camp of Israelites to provide for them, even in the midst of their complaining, even in the midst of wrong motives for asking for things. God's arm is not too short for anything that you're facing today. He can accomplish the impossible in your life. And so last week, we as a church started a 21-day period of praying and fasting where we said that we're going to begin circling things in our lives with prayer. We're going to start believing God for the impossible, both in our personal lives and for our church. And this week, I've started praying what I feel like are some foolish prayers. And I encourage you to pray the same. I hope that you'll take a step and start praying just some ridiculous prayers before God that seem completely impossible. Last night, I, I had my family in the car, and we drove around a piece of property. It's worth about $16 million that I'm praying that God will give to our church. Now, we don't have $16 million, but God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he's our provider. Everything comes from God, and he can speak to any person and tell them to give us a piece of land. And so I've been saying, God, would you give us this land? It's been something that has been in my heart for a couple of years. And as I drive by this piece of property, you know, I, I typically say, you know, God, it would be nice if you would give that to our church. But that's an impossibility that someone would give us a piece of land worth that amount of money, but I, I'm going to start circling that thing. And I'm going to start praying and saying, God, you can do the impossible. You think it's foolish to walk around a car and say, God, you created it. You, you provided six million quail in a single day to feed an entire camp of a million people. You can't fix a car. I know you can. Now I'm asking you if you will. And I'm believing by faith that you will. And we have sick children and we have sick family members. We have sick friends and we have people who are facing obstacles in their lives that are something that are beyond our control, that medication is not going to change. They've received terrible reports. 
And we say, you know, God, like it'll be nice if you'd heal them, but it's time for us to start circling them and saying, God, you can. I know you can. It's not a matter of if you can. It's a matter of if you will. And I'm believing that you will. And I'm not going to pray a prayer with a back door that says, but if you don't, you know, it's okay. I'm going to close the circle and I'm going to start standing firm inside that circle and I'm going to believe that you can do the impossible in my life. What are you facing right now? What obstacles are in your life? What are you hopeful for? What are you frustrated with? What change needs to happen in your life that honestly can't happen because it's impossible? What things are you facing? So many times I'll ask people, you know, like, what are you praying about? And they're like, oh, you know, not much. Life's pretty good right now. And I want to get to the point to where I never am content with life, but I've always got something that I'm circling, that I'm saying I believe something can change because God is in the equation. It's time for us to start circling the impossible in our lives. Worrying about it, talking about it, getting angry about it, getting frustrated about it, isn't going to change it. But circling it can. And we want to believe that it will. I don't want to speak into your life this morning and say there's nothing that God can't do. There's no prayer that you'll ever pray that will insult God. There's no prayer that you'll ever pray that God doesn't care about. Are there prayers that you'll pray that God will say no to? Absolutely. Are there prayers that you'll pray out of wrong motivations? Absolutely. I'm not telling you that God's a genie in the bottle that's going to give you anything that you want in this life just to make you happy, but I am telling you that if you don't pray pray prayers, then God may never answer those prayers. I would rather be told no than to know later on that I could have received something had I only asked for it. And maybe for some of you here, God's put a dream in your heart. Maybe God has spoken something to you like he spoke to Moses that seems completely impossible when you look at the situations and circumstances. And in your heart, you are fully convinced that there's no way that change would ever come in those situations. And I want to ask you today to take a bold step and simply stand as a sign that you're going to believe God to do some impossible things in your life. I've asked a a few couples if they would come forward and we're just going to give you an opportunity to come and be prayed for. If those couples would come forward now and just stand along the front. If you're here this morning and there's something in your life that you would like to have prayer for, I simply want to ask you to come and let us pray with you that God would do the impossible.